Praise the Lord. Welcome to Grace Church. Good morning. It's great to see you all. I ask you to stand this morning as we prepare to worship. You know, in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, the, the, the angel came and told Joseph that a child would be born to a virgin and that his name would be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And I can't help but, but see this is a stark contrast to the religions of the world. You know, so many of those false religions worship gods who existed at one point or a person who had a philosophy. Or maybe some of them look forward to maybe what will be one day. But our God was. He taught us in that way and, and we have that history with Him and we know that we have a future with Him but what we also have is we have a together now. He's here now. And as we begin to sing, I just ask you to, to see that and know it. Your God, the God of everything, the God of the universe, is here with you now. He's a here and now God. Would you worship and sing this morning as we celebrate again the Christmas story?
Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I appreciate the presence of the Lord that's here this morning. And I would like to join with Brian and just read from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. And then picking up in Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Are you thankful for the Christmas story today? That God manifests himself in flesh and came for your salvation, for my salvation, so that humankind could be redeemed forevermore. Oh, I think that's worth one more hand clap of praise, one more shout from the depths of our soul. God has come, and salvation has come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And we do want to take this opportunity to welcome everyone here this morning. We're glad you're here on Grace Church campus, those joining us on live stream. Facebook Live, we are so glad you've joined us this morning, and I believe that something great will happen before the service concludes today. Do you believe that today? Amen. And let me just take a moment and wish all of you a very Merry Christmas. I hope that this week just brings the best of the Christmas season to you and your family. I hope that you enjoy the time with your family and friends this week. So God bless you today so much. You may be seated today. Uh, I do want to thank you, as always, for your generosity and giving to the kingdom of God. And as always today, you can give online, and you can also give in Grand Central on your way out. And we thank you for giving to the ministry of Grace Church and to the kingdom of God. I want to just take a moment here before we continue with our service to, to just kind of let you know what to expect around Grace Church, around the campus over the next week, week and a half or so. Uh, kind of our holiday schedule, if you will. Tomorrow night, of course, we'll continue with United Family Prayer uh, at 714 at your home. Now, I've kind of done some figuring in my mind, and, and roughly, give or take, we we kind of started lockdown, and, and I, I guess pandemic and all, really, we kind of became aware of it in earnest sometime around mid-March. It was around March 13th or so, something like that. Not long after that, we began our United Family Prayer on Monday night at home. So, so roughly speaking, it's been about nine months, about nine months that we've been doing this. And, and, and I just believe if I could just have enough faith this morning or if you would humor me enough, you know, nine months is the period of time it takes for, for something to, that is conceived to be born and to be birthed. And so I'm just crazy enough to believe that it's about time for, for some things to be birthed in the spirit, to be birthed in our church revival, harvest, miracles. Do you believe that today? And so who knows, but what our faithfulness and prayer on Monday nights might just be the, the catalyst for something great to happen in 2021. So be faithful to that. We will dismiss prayer this coming Tuesday. Uh, our normal prayer at 10 o'clock uh, on Tuesday morning will be dismissed due to the holiday. Also service Wednesday night is dismissed this Wednesday night due to the Christmas holiday. And also men's prayer on Saturday will be dismissed. But we will come back together next Sunday, same place, same time, at 11 o'clock here on the campus. 
next Sunday. I'm looking forward to that service, what God will do. And then looking ahead, on January the 3rd will be our communion service, as is our custom here at Grace Church. We'll have communion on the first Sunday of the new year. And then that following Monday on January the 4th, we'll begin our 21 days of sacrifice. I think that's just a great way to start the year in focused prayer, time of sacrifice, and seeking God for what He has for us. So I hope you got all that. If not, stay tuned to your email and social media. We'll, we'll get that out to you in written form where you can kind of read that and absorb it. And uh, we want you to have a great holiday season, uh, but we want you to keep Jesus Christ at the center of everything that you do, center of your home, center of your family, center of your mindset. Amen. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then the praise team is going to come and lead us in worship again, and we're just going to have a great time today in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. I thank you for everyone that's here, Lord. We've, we've made an effort to be here today, and I know that you've made an effort to be here today, and the two together is just a recipe for some great things to happen. And so I pray that your anointing would be upon this service. Anoint the worship, the singing, the praise. Anoint the preaching of the word. Let our hearts be challenged. Let us be changed in your presence to the glory of God. Everybody say in Jesus' name. One more time, clap your hands as the praise team comes to lead us in worship.
of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Thank the Lord. While you remain standing for a moment, I know that virtually everyone here today has gathered today with the Christmas season on your mind. You probably thought about your plans, thought about dinner plans and gift giving and what have you. But how is it possible to come to the house of the Lord with Christmas on your mind without Jesus being right in the middle of that? Amen. He is the reason. He is absolutely the reason. And my heart today is filled with gratitude for the fact that he came, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. There's a a verse in the New Testament, Paul said it, uh, that I have clung to in the recent weeks and months. Talking about the church, he said, Only he who now letteth will let till he be taken out of the way. What that means by most uh, commentary, Terry's explanation is uh, that the, the whole working of the Antichrist and all the evil and all that stuff is not going to happen uh, until the church is taken out of the way. I've thought a lot about that in the recent days and weeks, and I believe it's an amazing thing that the church is holding back an evil agenda uh, that is powerful, that is mighty, But all of that power that has been instilled in the church, all of the might that's been instilled in the church started in a little manger in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. And when you looked at that baby and you looked at the surroundings of his birth and how all of that happened, you'd think, how in the world could a little bitty baby like that change the entire world and literally dictate the events of the future? Well, if you're wondering about that, that's exactly what happened. That's what God had planned. That's what God had in mind. And that's what God is pulling off. He is still the Savior of the world. And I believe He's going to be a Savior of the world in more ways than we know and think today. Or even sometimes choose to believe. I'm glad today that at the close of 2020, in this Christmas season, in the midst of all kind of upheaval, I'm glad I know today that I'm still in the hands of Jesus Christ who's going to keep his hand on our lives. He's going to guide our footsteps. Anybody glad today you know Jesus? Let's give him some praise today. Let's give him some praise. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. So before our speaker comes, I just wanted to come to the pulpit for a moment. And uh, it's been a crazy year, as we all know. But that doesn't mean we can't have a great time during Christmas. Thank the Lord. I know there's other parts of the country that are suffering along that line in such a great way, even parts around the world. But I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be here now. And I will plan in the next week or two to treasure the moments that I spend with my family, with friends, and so on. We're going to treasure those moments. So from my heart, from Sister Murphy's heart, we wish all of you a great holiday season, a very Merry Christmas. And uh, I commented to the, to the group before we came in this morning, our, our praise team, that, um, you know, food's a big part of the holidays. And those of you that are, are dieting, I hope you make it. I hope everything goes well. The greatest gift you can give yourself is to just not eat hardly anything during the whole entire holiday. You wouldn't have any guilt complex. You wouldn't have to worry about anything negative. Nobody pointing the finger at you. Nobody judging you. So I suggest for the next two weeks, you stick to that diet with everything you've got. 
and the rest of us will make up for it. There you go. I think that's a fair bargain. Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's give the Word of God some attention. Let's welcome Brother Jason to the pulpit today as he comes to preach. Well, God bless you, Grace Church. You can be seated. There is a sweetness of the Spirit that's here today, and I believe it's a confirmation to me of what I think God wants to do in our service today. If you ever happen to show up at the Cooper Compound in the far frozen north of Livingston Parish one day, before you come inside, I want to encourage you to uh, take a look in the backyard because on the southeast side of our house, about 15 feet from the back patio, you'll see one of the saddest examples of a Satsuma tree you've ever seen in your life. The tree's about six and a half feet tall, and it's, it's crooked in a couple of places, and it's, it's sprawling and gangly. It's been in the ground about seven years, I think, maybe longer. And prior to 2020, has put out probably nine satsumas in its entire life. And I, I tried to dress up the bottom of it, you know, make it look a little better to help the aesthetics, put some mulch and landscaping, but there just wasn't really a lot to work with. Whatever you picture in your mind, whenever you think of a pretty satsuma tree, this one is about the direct opposite of that. I want to show you a picture and this one's a little misleading because uh, it had filled out quite a bit uh, this year. So there it is. Now, I want to be clear about something. It's not the tree's fault. Whatever failings this tree has in looks and in production, those failings lie completely within the hands of its owners. Um, whenever it comes to green things that grow in dirt, Julia and I have a bit of a rep, like the the serial killer, mass murderer kind of rep. Um, whenever we pull into the parking lot of Clegg's Nursery, you can physically sense every plant in the place begin to shiver in fear. They know that any plant that leaves with us is probably not going to make it. And, uh, it's, you know, science has proven that plants communicate with each other. And so I know they're talking about us whenever we leave. You know, who did they get this time? Bob? Oh, man, they got Bob. They got Bob's whole family. At least it wasn't me. Been nice knowing you, Bob. We'll, we'll see you later. I've decided we're just, we're not good plant people. We have good intentions. We have good intentions. We really do. We just aren't real diligent whenever it comes to, like, caring about all of the plant stuff that comes after. You know, we put them in the ground good. We do that really well. Uh, and then it's like, well, good luck, green thing. We, we hope you know what you're doing because we sure don't. We'll see you in a year. And that's why I'm kind of uh, surprised that this Satsuma tree has managed to make it. We even bought it like a friend tree. You know, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to buy your Satsuma as a friend tree. Bought it a friend tree, put it in the ground about 10 feet away. Friend tree died, of course. And it shriveled right up. It's very sad. This one managed to hold on, though. It, it, it's, it's still kicking, really managed to beat the odds. It's a, it's a bona fide botanical miracle of biblical proportions considering. If something really weird happened this spring, though. 
back in March, I noticed one day that our lonely, neglected little orphan of a Satsuma tree was absolutely covered in these little white flowers. I was out working in the yard, and, and the smell is actually what caught my attention first. And it had never done that before. The smell was amazing. And sure enough, as the weeks went on, the branches were just covered in these little green baby satsumas. Well, we had never seen this before. It was loaded with them. I was so excited. That tree had not put out even 1% of what was on it over its entire life. And now it was just blowing up. Let me, let me show you. Casey zoomed in for me. That, that's just one part of the tree. And there's about 30 little satsumas in that one picture on just one part of that tree. And by the time it was all said and done, y'all, our little Satsuma tree that could, it made well over 200 Satsumas. We gave some away, but me and Owen ate a lot of those Satsumas ourselves, and they were good, too. I got a little worried at one point, though. I don't remember when exactly. It was late spring, early summer. I noticed one day around the base of the tree several of these green dime-sized baby satsumas had fallen off of the tree. And then a few days later, there were more. And a few days later, there were more. So now I'm, I'm like paying attention. And I'm counting, literally counting what falls off of the tree. Close to 50, then 60, then over 70. All of these little baby satsumas just dropping like flies, man. And I thought, yep, here we go. Here we go. The natural order of the universe has now been restored. The Cooper curse on all things green is still in full effect. You tried, little Satsuma tree, and we appreciate it, but it's just its not meant to be. You should have known better. But you know, hope's a funny thing, right? Hope will, hope will keep you going sometimes. So I Googled, hoping against hope, I Googled little green balls falling off of Satsuma tree. And here's what I found out. Y'all laughing at me. I don't even care. I don't even care. Here's what I found out. Satsuma trees will self-prune. Wired into the genetic structure of that plant is a mechanism that determines if the potential fruit outweighs its capacity to support it. And if more fruit is growing on the branches than the structure of the tree can sustain, it will naturally just drop whatever it needs to and only keep what it can support. I was both thrilled and fascinated with this new knowledge at the same time. I was thrilled because it meant maybe, just maybe, my little Satsuma tree was finally going to produce some fruit. But I was fascinated because I had absolutely no idea that a tree could do that. This tree was programmed and genetically wired for a losing season. Not because it was unhealthy. Not because it was dying. But so that a greater potential could be realized. And I am teaching so good right now and y'all don't even know it. It didn't make sense to me at first. It really didn't. Why this tree was losing fruit all of a sudden, I couldn't understand. I thought something was wrong. Y'all ever been through one of those? A losing season? 
didn't make any sense, and you thought something was wrong with you because stuff is just dropping off of you, man, left and right for no apparent reason. Some of you are living in a, you're living in the middle of a losing season right now. And I want to try to help you this morning if I can. I want to talk to you about, just tell you where we're headed today so it won't be a mystery. We're going to read a text in just a minute for those of you worried, like when's the text coming? We're going to stand. We're going to read a text that's happening. We're going to read a text from Genesis that talks about Joseph, and we're going to look at what happened during his losing season. You're going to hear a whole lot about context today. Y'all say context. That's pretty good, context. You're going to hear a lot about today. And then I want to show you something from John's gospel that's really given me hope over these last few months. So I want to talk to you for a little while today about losing seasons. Y'all stand with me, and we will read from the Bible. Genesis chapter 41 Verses 50 through 52, it says, And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asana, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let's pray together. Lord, you know exactly what they came in here with today. And you have already just invaded this place with a sweet, comforting, and healing spirit. I pray that the anointing of your word would go forth. Lord, that you would help me to do a good job and get out of the way and say it the way that they need to hear it so that they can receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. you can sit down. Now, I imagine most of us here today have at least heard of Joseph. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with his story, though, I, I want to give you just the quick spark notes version. Uh, Joseph lived with a bunch of older brothers who hated him because he was dad's favorite. And then dad gave Joseph a Gucci coat, so they hated him even more. And then Joseph bragged about some dreams he had, and they were dreams that seemed to say that his older brothers were going to bow down to him one day, and so they hated him even more. So his brothers wanted to kill him, but they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery instead. And Joseph went to be a slave in Egypt, which was the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And as a slave, Joseph served his master with integrity and with honesty and with faithfulness, but he was falsely accused by his master's wife of attempted rape and was sent to prison. While in prison, some more weird dream stuff happened, and Joseph gets promoted from prisoner to the number two guy in charge of all of Egypt. Then, plot twist, his brothers show up in Egypt looking to buy food, and a bunch of crazy stuff happens with a special cup, but eventually Joseph forgives his brothers for hating him and selling him. He's reunited with his father. They all live together in Egypt as one big happy family. Now, that's a pretty condensed version of Genesis chapter 37 through 41. Our text that we read comes from about the middle of Joseph's story. Joseph is on the upswing now. Um, He's running things in Egypt. He has a wife and a family of his own. Prison, betrayal, all of that's behind him. And Joseph is literally at this point in his life on top of the world. And at the time of our scripture reading, he hasn't been reunited with his family yet. We haven't seen that beautiful scene of forgiveness happen yet. But life is still, it's, it's pretty good for Joseph at this point. 
And our text said that Joseph had two sons. The first one, he named Manasseh. That's a Hebrew word that literally means to forget. That's kind of a strange name for a kid, but Joseph explains why. He says, it's because God has made me forget all of my toil, all of my trouble, and all of my father's household. It's pretty easy to understand why Joseph would want to forget all of that, forget his brothers, forget the coat, forget his dreams, all of that old life he had. I would want to forget about that too. I mean, you look at everything that Joseph lost in his life. I know in Sunday school we talk a lot about the coat, the coat of many colors, his sweet Gucci coat that he had. It was a nice coat. It had a lot of symbolism. It had a lot of meaning. But Joseph lost way more than a coat. Joseph lost his connection. He lost his connection to his family, especially the connection he had with his father, Jacob, which sounds like from Scripture that was a really special relationship, and Joseph lost that connection. Joseph lost his connection with his dreams. Those dreams that we come to learn came straight from God, and they were prophetic in nature and were indicative of a, of a unique countercultural type of leadership and influence that Joseph would have in his life. Joseph lost his connection with his culture. See, he was a Hebrew. He grew up knowing and serving and worshiping one God, and now he's living in Egypt where they worship many gods, and they worship them in, in ways that, that he's not used to, very different from what he's known. I don't know if we can really grasp the depth of the loss Joseph must have felt as a slave, as a prisoner, and even as a ruler so disconnected from his previous life. What Joseph really lost was his context. I want, I want to spend a little bit of time here talking about context because I feel like this loss of context is where so many of us have been living in this weird, strange time called 2020. This has not been a normal year, very abnormal. It's thrown our context off. It's, it's thrown our perceptions off. Context is that overarching combination of facts and beliefs and assumptions that allow the current moment that you're in to make sense. Context is what allows you to say what's happening right now, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is logical and it makes sense because I have this larger frame of reference. You know, some things only make sense in context. You ever, you ever hear somebody like tell a story and they really build it up like it's going to be something hilarious and then they finish telling the story and it's just like kind of weird and awkward and like, ah. and what do they say? What, what do they always say? They say, I guess you just had to be there. I guess you just had to be there. Why? You needed a certain context in order to be able to really get the story. <laughs> In my house, people use the word phenomenon on purpose. I, look, it's strange. You need context. Because anybody in our house paying attention, if they hear you say the word phenomena, they will, they will then sing do 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 And we think it comes from like a Sesame Street skit. We're not even really sure. It's just a, it doesn't make any sense at all. I know you're looking at me weird. I get it. It is weird. It's just an inside family joke kind of thing that we share. It only makes sense with context. Context explains why my boy Nate can send me a text that says, you're a really negative person. You know that? 
And instead of getting offended, I laugh and send him one back that says, how about a little optimism? It only makes sense in context. It seems judgmental. It seems harsh. But if you know the context, then it's funny. You've got to understand the context. Joseph lost his context. Joseph lost the benefit of those facts and long-held beliefs and assumptions that made his current situation make sense. Yeah, my brothers hate me, but you know what? Dad loves me. So my future's safe. I'm secure. Yeah, nobody really understands my dreams, but I've got this sweet coat to prove that I'm really somebody. Yeah, I might be the youngest, and I might be discounted because of my birth order, but I've got a future, man. I'm going to be somebody. That was his context. But you try justifying thoughts like those when you're at the bottom of a pit and looking up at my, uh, betrayal from the people who are supposed to love you and care about you. You try justifying thoughts like those when you're in chains and sold as a slave. You try making sense out of life when you're in the middle of being unjustly accused and imprisoned and forgotten. Unless you can see a larger context, it doesn't make sense. You know, Joseph lost the context that gave him those dreams to begin with. It makes a lot of sense to have dreams of rulership and leadership when your daddy's favorite wearing your sweet coat. But watch this. While Joseph's context changed, his context changed out of, the, out of the safety and the security and the comfort of Jacob's house into a pit of betrayal, into the daily grind of serving people who were not like him at all, into prison, into abandonment. While Joseph's context changed immensely, God's purpose and plan for him remained steadfast and constant. See, we tend to think that if the context that first gave us the vision changes, then the change in context somehow nullifies the vision. We, we, we tend to think that if the context that gave birth to our dream changes, then that must mean that the dream is canceled. But that type of thinking, is, it runs counter to Scripture and it ignores the reality of God's nature in a, in a culture where, it, where our acceptance is based on achievement and appearance. We take loss and having less and losing seasons way out of context. When, when you start losing when, and stuff just starts falling off of you, people look at you different. <laughs> You go into a losing season. People start giving you the side eye. Something going on with him. Something ain't right. What's, what's going on with her? She's slipping. She's slipping. I'm going to backslide. You let a losing season go on long enough, you'll start to look at yourself different. You'll start to give yourself the side eye. Like, is there something wrong with me? Is God mad at me? Or I didn't do enough, or I wasn't spiritual enough, or I wasn't dedicated enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not connected enough, there's something wrong with me? 
because we incorrectly associate God's favor and God's presence in our lives with abundance and gain and winning. As if the evidence of his favor in my life is that I have more and I get what I want, how I want, when I want it. But when we think that way, first of all, it's not biblical. And second, we're prone to view any type of loss out of its true context. And I completely miss the hand of God that's at work in my life. All right. Let's try it this way. When the Satsuma tree started dropping baby Satsumas, was it because there was something wrong with the tree? No, quite the contrary. There was something going on at a level that I couldn't see that was enabling the tree to do what it was designed and created to do in the first place, produce good fruit. What, what, what's a better use of that little tree's potential? 300 little dime-sized, tough, bitter, no good little bites of nothing? Or 200 fully grown, mature, tender, sweet pieces of fruit? The answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? Now what that tree does naturally First of all, I wish I could do it. I'd drop about 30 pounds of fat right here on the steps of this platform. Just right there. Don't work that way. Probably for good reason, huh? Be a little gross. Cause traffic problems. God knew it wouldn't be a good idea. We can't just shed stuff at will. We can't. We can't just body parts we don't like. We can't just drop it. It's grown in. Attached to us part of us. That's why we need a husbandman. That's why we need a gardener. That's why we need a vine dresser who knows how to tend the vine that he planted. Some of you have found yourself in a losing season of your life and stuff is just falling off of you. Things you were used to having and things that have always been there, they, they've been separated from you, and they are just disappearing out of your life. And it's left you wondering, God, what in the world are you doing? What in the world is going on? What's wrong with me? What am I supposed to do now? Who am I supposed to be now? Life doesn't make sense with all this stuff falling off. What do you do in a losing season? How are you going to interpret the losing season of your life. Because a lot of how you respond in your losing season has to do with how you see the context. Let's go to John 15. I want to show you something. I know it's not what you expected on December 20th. I know it's not a nice little, it's a seasonal message. <laughs> it's just not the season you were hoping to get. But I want to show you something. I really want to give some people some hope. I had such a burden for this message today. And, and some of the people that, that I really thought God wanted to talk to walked in the door today. And I, I, just, I just want to show you something that's given me hope. We've got to get the context right. 
I know you're tired of hearing about context, but you need to listen. We've got to get the context right. In John chapter 15, Jesus told the disciples, he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. He's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Well, okay, now that makes sense. That makes sense. If you're not bearing fruit, he cuts it off. I get that. Okay, but watch this part. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. He prunes it. He cleanses it. He cuts some of it off that it may bring forth more fruit. This passage is a, is a little heads up from Jesus to the disciples. He's saying, fellas, listen, you got to keep in mind that what, what God does in your life, you got you to keep it in the right context because nobody likes to be cut on. Nobody likes to lose stuff. Nobody enjoys losing seasons. Nobody likes to lose what you're attached to and what's been a part of your life for so long. Losing seasons are painful. And without the proper context, you will never make sense of the pain that's in your life. Jesus said, I am the vine. You get your life from me. You get your nourishment from me. You get your structure and your strength from me. You've got to be attached to me first. But who's doing the pruning? Who's doing the cutting? Is it some random person that doesn't even know you? An enemy? Somebody that doesn't have your best interests in mind? No, no, no. Look at it. Jesus said, I am the vine. My father is the husbandman. My father is the gardener. My father is the one who's doing the cutting. Even on the branches that do produce fruit, my father is one. Yeah, you know the one. You know the one I'm talking about, the good father, the heavenly father, the one who really knows how to make a garden and tend every plant that's in it, the one who decided where to plant you and when to plant you and who's tended you for years and who protects you and who wants to see you loaded with good fruit. That's the father who's applying the cutting. He's the one doing the pruning. He's the one. Mm, he's the one in control of your losing season. He's the one deciding when and what and how to cut. Why? Why is he cutting? Because the branch was bad? Because the branch didn't pray enough? Because the branch wasn't holy enough? Is he trying to punish the branch? Is he? Is, man, I'm stepping on some theological toes today. Don't even care. Is he trying to prove some kind of point about sovereignty and who the boss really is? Jesus said, uh-uh, uh-uh. you got to keep the cutting in context. Jesus said he prunes the branches not so they will have less, but so they will bring forth more fruit. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus, Jesus uses the word there in the Greek. The Greek word is plion. I'm not a scholar. I just Google. Plion. And, and it, can mean, it can mean greater quantity, a higher number. Or it can also mean greater quality. 
So what the loving father cuts off, it might be the purpose of making room for more in your life, but it might have another purpose instead. Maybe you don't have the capacity for more. Maybe you're tapped out. Maybe you've reached pretty much the limit of what you can handle and what you can do. Maybe your heavenly father really knows you better than you know yourself, and it might be that what's coming off of you in your losing season has more to do with making within you a capacity for better fruit a higher quality fruit, a fruit that's really meaningful and blesses. Oh, I think you're starting to get it. Maybe he wants a fruit to come out of you that's more of a blessing than just to you. Maybe it's a blessing to others. Maybe it's a fruit that's closer to his true design and purpose for your life and more in alignment with his will than your flesh. Yeah, that went over about as well as I thought it would. Maybe it's a fruit that the structure of your life can sustain and support in a way that's healthy and joyful. I think God's got his eye on some people at Grace Church today. And he's saying, you know what, just just by the nature of who you are, Just by the nature of who I've designed you to be, you are producing these beautiful beginnings of fruit. And the aroma has caught my attention. And my attention is so so fixated on you right now. It's the small beginnings of incredible fruitfulness. But I want you to have room for the best fruit that you can possibly produce. So I'm going to take you through a losing season. Not to punish, not to make some kind of cosmic point about sovereignty, not to see if you can suffer and still fake a smile and try to fool people into thinking you've still got a good attitude. That's good. Y'all can sit there and be quiet on me if you want to, but that's good. Not for all of that, no, no, no but for no other reason than to see a creation that I love and that I cherish make the best fruit in a way that is healthy and natural. It's all about getting the right context, Grace Church. And the right context for your losing season, the only context for your losing season is love. We're about to get to it now. That that, that was all introduction. Here it is. Romans 8, 28. Come on, say it with me. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Look look at what's going on in this. Can you just keep it up there? Media team, just keep it up there. And we know that. Look at what's going on here. Look at what's on either side of this verse. Because on one side, we've got all things. All things. COVID, shutdowns, quarantine, distancing, uncertainty, the economy, social inequity, political upheaval, family members being weird and posting all kinds of crazy stuff on social media. You know the ones I'm talking about? If it's you, you don't know. So if you don't know who the family member is I'm talking about, it's you. 
job struggles, financial problems. That, that's, that's the all things on one side. But then, then on the other side, we've got, we've got God. And all of the things that we know are true about him, that he's good, that he's faithful, that he's patient, that he's kind, that he's merciful, that he's forgiving. But what's in the middle? How do I get from all things to the stuff that I know to be true about God and believing that all of these things are working according to his purpose? There's only one word in the middle. It's love. It's love. Love is the lens through which we can view all things in their proper context. Love is the lens through which we are able to really see all things working together for the good. Love is the lens through which we can say with confidence, I might not understand it, But even this is working according to his purpose. Even in the losing season when I am hurting so desperately and wishing that it could be another way, love is the only context where the losing season makes sense. Maybe I I think somebody really just needs to hear it today. You know what? God loves you. He really, really does love you. He accepts you. I I appreciate the response, but I want you to, somebody, I want you to hear me. He accepts you. You have already been accepted by God. He's not waiting on you to do a little extra or to prove something to him. He's already, God wants you. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to be a part of his bride. God wants you on his team. He loves you. He accepts you. He wants you. You need to hear that today. Somebody just needs to believe. I don't feel very lovable. I don't feel like anybody would accept me, much less a holy God. But I'm just going to take it on faith. God, I'm just going to take it on faith that you love me. It's got to start there that he loves you. Oh, Jesus. When you can view, when you can view the all things of whatever your particular circumstance is through the lens of God's uncompromising, limitless, reckless, overwhelming love for you, then you can see the all things in the right context. Not what it feels like, but the right context. Because it feels like you've done something wrong. It feels like you're not enough. It feels like you're not adequate. That's how it feels. But if you view all things through his love for you, then you're seeing it right. That's why Joseph was able to say in Genesis 41, this first one, this first kid, I'm naming you Manasseh. Because God made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's household. Now the fact that he said he made me forget means that he didn't forget So maybe he's just naming him in faith. I don't know. 
But I've been through a losing season, and I'd like to forget about all of it if I could. My brothers, the dreams, dad, all of it, just forget about it. But this second one, now I'm going to name you something different. See, I've come through some things, and now I've got some perspective that I didn't have before, and now I can see with a different context, and there really was a purpose to my losing season that I could not see while I was in it. But now I've got the context right. So I'm going to name you something different. I'm naming you Ephraim. Ephraim. It's because God has made me fruitful. In the land of my suffering. That's not just fruitful. The name Ephraim sounds like a Hebrew word that means twice fruitful. Or doubly fruitful. Way more than what was normal. Way more than what you would expect out of a tree like this. That you, you Ephraim. Because whenever you look at the all things that I've been through, you wouldn't expect me to be where I am now. So now I've got the right context to view all of that stuff. God has made me doubly fruitful, but it took some cutting first. Y'all come, give them some hope. Joseph's experience made it very clear that a losing season is, it's almost impossible to interpret it correctly when you're in the middle of it. And it doesn't make a lot of sense in the moment. And there are painful things that you would really like to forget. But when you come out of the other side, and you can see it all in the right context of God's love and purpose for you, then you understand that there's something that the losing season has made room for in your life that would not have been possible any other way. Something of greater quality that you weren't capable of sustaining before. The Lord showed me a scripture just a few days ago found it so meaningful in this context. Psalms chapter 33, verses 18 and 19, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Famine. A losing season. You know, in a famine... You lose what you planted. In a famine, you lose what you've spent so much time and effort and energy cultivating. In a famine, everything that you've tried to nurture dies. In a famine, you lose what you hoped for and what you've worked for. But the Scripture says, even in a famine... Even in the middle of a losing season where everything's dying, it says God's eyes are on you. Keep hoping in His mercy. Keep trusting in the hands of the one who created you because your losing season, it will not last forever. It's a season. And this, 
crazy COVID-19, oh, whatever, turmoil, upheaval. Some of you have lost jobs. You've literally lost family members. You've lost relationships. You've lost opportunities. Some of you, though, it's not as easy to quantify what you've lost because what you've lost is your passion. You've lost your sense of purpose. You've lost your place in the kingdom. Some of you have even lost hope. Some of you here today have lost hope that you could even be saved, much less have the things that the Word of God seems to say you should have. I'm talking to somebody. Felt it as clearly as I've ever felt anything in the Spirit. Listen to me. The hand of your Father is not cruel or angry or spiteful anything that you have lost in this season of your life has been so that he can bring about something greater and maybe it's going to be more Peyton. maybe it's going to be more or maybe it's going to be a higher quality y'all stand with me I don't know if, if you remember, I hope you do, but back at the beginning of November, pastor preached a, a sermon. Uh, and they, the title of his sermon was, Will the Church Recover? And at some point in his sermon, he, he kind of turned the title on his side and because and, 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 he, he firmly established that the church is going to recover. But the real question he wanted to ask us was, will you recover? Will you recover? And he took a text from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I don't know if you remember the story, but the Amalekites raid David's camp while David and his men are away. And during the raid, they take all of the children and all of the women, all of David's men's families, they, they, the enemy takes, including David's two wives, one named Ahinoam and one named Abigail. Ahinoam, in the Hebrew means pleasantness. Abigail means joy. But that's not the whole story. Because what Abigail really means is not just joy. Abigail means the joy of the father. Or the one whose father is joy or gives joy. So for some people here today, I know. That's your story too. Because just like David, you've been living in some strange places. Not just physically, but mentally and spiritually. You found yourself occupying just some really strange territory that you haven't really been in before. And you're just doing the best you can with what you have, man. These are the tools I've got. This is what I know. I'm just going to keep on churning and doing the best that I can and what I know. I know the times are weird and this is strange territory and I'm unsettled in my spirit and I'm, I'm not really focused in my mind. I'm just going to keep doing what I know to do, waiting on God to do something or for something to break loose. 
And while you were working and while you were doing and while you were just trying to get through, you lost something. And the biggest thing you lost was the joy of your father. Now David's path to restoring that involved a bit of a battle. But it wasn't a battle that he had to fight necessarily by himself. He just... He just had to have discernment and wisdom about where to go and what to do. I want you to know that the the time and the place for you to get that restoration of joy that you know has been missing from your life is right here today. This is the last word I want to speak over you today. If you know that your joy has gone missing, this is a day of restoration. Because now you have some context to be able to look at these all things and say, you know what? This losing season has not been fun. It's been downright painful. And I don't know if I'll ever get those things back, but God, I believe your hand is in it. And if it's not making room for more, then it's making room for something of a better quality in me. I am going to rejoice in the joy of my salvation. I'm going to rejoice in the joy of my Father. So as they begin to play and sing today, I I know that that a message like this has got a stigma attached to it. Nobody wants to come down to the front and everybody look at them and think, oh, they lost their joy. Oh, they're going through a losing. No, we all going to come. We all going to come. We all going to come. Because this this is a collective thing, this restoration. Come on. Don't wait. Come on. It's time to come down and pray. And maybe you're not going through a losing season in your life right now and everything's fine. Great. God bless you. But there's somebody that you can pray for. There's somebody that you can put a hand on and say, I don't know what everything is that you're going through, but I know that God wants to restore some joy and purpose to your life. Come on, Grace Church. Let's be a family today. Let's slide up by a brother and by a sister. Put a hand on a shoulder and pray for them. Hey, man, I don't know what you're going through, but I know God's hand is on your life. I don't know what you've lost, but I know that God's doing it for a purpose. Come on, Grace Church, let's pray for each other. There's going to be some restoration take place right here, right now. Somebody's going to get a better context and be able to see the hand of God at work in their life.
There's no 